Welcome back to You Are Writing, a podcast about writing brought to you from New Hampshire Writers Project and the Hatbox Theater, recorded live in beautiful downtown Concord Heights at the Hatbox. Uh, today we're talking to, well, I'm Rob Green, uh, on the board of the New Hampshire Writers Project, and to my right is Gary DeVore. Say hello, hello. Gary. Hello. And to my left is Kevin Bartlett. Say hello, Kevin. Kevin Barrett. Kevin Barrett. Whoops. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. We'll fix that in post. Yeah, you're right. I'll hit him with a post. <laughs> uh, so today we just decided we were going to talk for a little bit about uh, traditional versus uh, self-publishing, which is uh, a topic that a lot of people, a lot of writers uh, debate about and fight about, even in, in amongst their own heads. Yes, we talk a lot yeah. about it in yeah. the Concord Writers Night Out group. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've got some experience, Gary. What's uh, what's your experience? <laughs> My experience is avoiding traditional publishing at all costs, um, <laughs> which isn't exactly true. I self-published my first book. Um, my first novel I self-published, and it was a specific decision to self-publish it. I had done a little bit, not very much, um, querying uh, agents right at the very beginning. But it, I found out that, uh, well, I, I I realized to my own self that it was very much a non-traditional book. Mm-hmm. It was a book that deliberately changed genres and experimented with different genres and experimented with different ways of writing. And each chapter was written in a different style. And it was something that I knew when I was finishing it up would be a hard sell to a traditional publisher being outside the system. Um Somebody else like Stephen King could get away with that right away, but um, little me probably would have an uphill battle. So I I made a very conscious decision at the very beginning to say, okay, well, I'm pretty much going to self-publish this, and I'm going to try and um, get it out there to whoever might be interested in it um, myself mm-hmm. and, and take the reins and, and, and run with it that way, which has been moderately successful. I've I've... Um, I've tried my best to be my own marketer, to mm-hmm. be my own editor, although I had lots of help, you know, getting it into uh, a final form with beta readers and things like that. But, um, be doing it your own self and, and being a self-published author, you really do have to become, um, comfortable with the fact that you are your own marketing team. You are your own everything mm-hmm. uh, because there is nobody else. Now, there's the, lots of tools out there that will help you along the way, but you're, it comes down to you. Right. What's the name of your book? My book is called Pantheon, and it's a novel about the ancient Greek gods. You know, when people stopped believing in them as gods, they came down to earth and they've been living amongst us uh, for all of human history and uh, in the modern era decide they want to become gods again. Mm-hmm. And so I deliberately wrote each god's um, section of the book in a different style, kind of befitting that god. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it turned out to be a big 700-page behemoth. <laughs> so that was another stumbling block that I was going to face if I tried to do it in mm-hmm. a traditional route. I've seen it on paper. Did you also publish it electronically, or did you not? Yes. You did. Um, I also did. I, I published through Lulu.com, mm-hmm. which I found very user-friendly, very good. It's a print-on-demand publisher, so uh, I've 
but it links all it links through to Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and you get a free ISBN when you publish it. And it's 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 official, mm-hmm. um, but it's print on demand, so I can order myself you know twenty copies that I can take to um, try and sell at fairs and and donate to libraries and things like that to get the word out. And anybody can find it online on Amazon on Barnes and Noble mm-hmm. uh, in uh, bricks and mortar bookstores as well too. So I didn't. I didn't have a, uh, a impetus to, or I didn't have a, a impediment to um, actually doing the work and making an e-published version of it as well. Too the the tools, the online tools, have greatly improved over the years. Uh, so you could you could do all that stuff yourself now. Mm-hmm. And browsing through the uh, through the Amazon here, the seven hundred thirty-eight. Page book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also did it uh, or re-released it recently as uh, as smaller books and yeah. sections, right? Yeah, which was which was again being part of my own marketing team. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I do have this 700 page behemoth. What do I do with it? Um, one of the things I thought is, okay, well, I'll bring in a new edition and I'll actually break it down into six volumes, six mm-hmm. smaller volumes that uh, on print on demand. I can publish and uh, for under five dollars, mm-hmm. so I can charge each one of them five dollars, and uh, you can get my entire series as uh, each individual volumes that allow me to do six new cover art, uh, six new versions, six new EPUB versions, or you could have the omnibus version mm-hmm. and carry this big brick around with you mm-hmm. uh, and and do it that way. And it and that kind of, that kind of grew out of going to. Um, fairs and farmers markets and having sitting at an author table myself um it's it's really nice to be able to spread six books out on the table instead of just like this big huge brick that you kind mm-hmm. of try to entice people to right. take with them and carry with them right now i can say well here's volume one you know Try it's only a hundred and some pages and you can get it for five bucks and you can mm-hmm. see if you like it and if you don't right. like it you don't need to buy any more volumes in the set or yeah. you can buy the whole set and they all have nice matching covers that are mm-hmm. color coordinated and um and it might interest you that way also gives you a chance i see on kindle to offer that first volume cheaper than the other ones yes so it's like the you know the first taste is free or near free yes i, one I will forgot cost i had i had discounted the uh the first volume to 84 of, cents yeah 84 yeah, yeah. cents what a bargain wow. so that's yeah, that's, that's a, a, a that's penny a page idea. It's, it sounds like a great idea, but I, I do love big books, and I cannot lie. <laughs> oh, well, with mine, you can you can hit small rodents with it, or yeah. you can read it, one of the two. But it is kind of a commitment. If you, I, I just finished uh, the latest Stephen King, Owen King book, uh, Beautiful Streamers or whatever it was, which was, it was a big chunk of book. And, you know, if I didn't have faith in... Stephen King, I might not have taken on oh, that sure. big chunk of yeah. book, you know. So who's yeah. this Gary DeVore guy, and why is he trying to give me this 800-page book? Yeah, exactly. I'd much that's rather, kind of weird anyway because it's in different styles. And different right. I'd much rather check out the, uh, the the shorter one, the first one, to see if uh, see what's there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your experience with this, Kevin, or are you're considering or thinking yeah, or thinking I'm about such so things? Much, very much in the thinking stage of it mm-hmm. because I don't – really have anything quite ready for publication yet or but I have a I have a few things in the works and one of them is um, is a science fiction novel that that starts with a guy who uh, wakes up one day and calls into work uh, he can't go into work that day because he's dead um, so there's that whole sort of 
sort of zombie angle and sort of a it's not really apocalyptic but mm-hmm. society has changed a bit and stuff so they're so when you're looking at it from the 30,000 foot level when you're summarizing it when you're you know querying to agents and publishers my concern is they're going to go up oh, zombies we got enough zombies we don't need any more of that that's that's a dying thing that's you know the walking dead is losing viewership and mm-hmm. that's enough of that stuff or an undead dying thing or... yeah yeah exactly yeah. The, the zombies are dying um so that's why i thought that i might just go ahead and self-publish it and mm-hmm. not have to spend years being rejected and you know for it or maybe by the time i'm done with that it comes back comes back around again <laughs> but i th- think I'm probably going to self-publish that, but one of my concerns is because some of the people we talk with in, our, in writers groups will say, oh, well, if you can get something self-published and get a few thousand people to, to, to buy it, then you go and you query your next book. You say, well, I have this book out that I self-published and I have these followers. But my concern about that is, is a query, uh, is a, an agent or a publisher going to see a self-published book as a benefit or a burden? Mm-hmm. It depends on how many you sold. If you sold, is, a, is it strictly that? I if mean, you sold a hundred thousand, then they'll pick you up. Right. If you sold a thousand, they probably won't. But it doesn't matter. That no, much. no. Right. Yeah, they want to see success. If you show that you succeeded without them, then they figure you can succeed, maybe a little bit better with them. And that's what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of thing from you? Um, yeah, interesting. I mean, and it uh, as Gary can attest, it takes a long time to query. You know, you gotta yes. you gotta write the letter, you gotta figure out the agent, you send it to the agent. The agent may take six months, the agent may take a year, and then it's another query. And then, you know, then after even after you sell the book, it's what th- the average is three years to publication after that. So, wow. yeah. you're talking about your zombie sci-fi book could be six years down the pike. And, and, and I'm old, and I don't want to wait that long. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm querying my second book, mm-hmm. my second novel. I'm querying that right now, uh, not successfully, but I am querying it. Mm-hmm. And I do not mention my first book. I don't mention mm-hmm. that in my query letter, in my, um, in my. Uh, author bio that I send them, you know, is attached to the to the query letter. I don't mention that. It's visible if they then investigate me and look at my website and see that it's there. And mm-hmm. you know, I also published self published a, a guidebook to Rome, which is different than a novel. It's nonfiction writing, blah, blah, blah. Um but certainly my sales are not in the hundreds of thousands. So mm-hmm. I did not see it right. as as a potential benefit that anybody would care about. Mm-hmm. Um but it is something that if if the, the agent asks about it. I would sort sure. of explain as I just did, you know, why I did it and mm-hmm. why I did it the self-published route. Yeah, and, and I just wonder in that introductory letter, unless you've got a hundred thousand copy seller, I've self-published this. Do they roll their eyes and then send the thing back to you right away? <laughs> I mean, the one you know, that you so if you already self-published, yeah, it? if you have self-published something and you put that in your query letter for the first thing you want, you want to uh, you know your first impression to an agent or a mm-hmm. publisher. I've self-published my first book, and then oh, from, God, all right, see you later. From what I've heard, unless you do that, unless you do have that hundred thousand, they will scoff, yeah, and yeah. say we don't want to deal with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are the gatekeepers. That's right. their role, yeah. right? And for good or for bad, mostly bad, they are the gatekeepers, mm-hmm. right? So it shows you tried to dodge the gate, yeah, right. Yeah, so the hell with you, yes, gate dodger, <laughs> party crasher, <Really? laughs> yeah. 
But then there, we've, I think we've talked about this before. We've talked about the possibility of doing it on a, under a pen name. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be you know, Fred Jones if you want to be author of the zombie book, and then you could be Kevin for the new thing. You know? Right, and that's one thing I've been debating too is maybe because I also have this Victorian murder mystery horror kind of thing that um, that I also might self-publish because what kind of a market is there for that? I mm-hmm. don't know. And because it's also very different from my other stuff, so that's why I was thinking I might use a pseudonym for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if for no other reason, so I can go around saying I have an undeplume. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people, when they talk about that they're going to self-publish, I think a, a lot of them think that um, that self-publishing is a path, which which is true. That self-publishing is a path to at least getting your material out there. Mm-hmm. And that you know you can hopefully you know if 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 it's just read by a handful of people, you know at least your words have reached somebody and they're mm-hmm. they're out there. But I think you do have to you do have to kind of uh, ask the question you know is that enough? You know is it enough that it may only be your immediate family and friends and some random strangers on the web who take the chance on your seven hundred right. page book? Um, <laughs> Is that enough? You know, is is that and but on the other hand, the benefit is that you know it is released out there in the world, and it's you know if you control the copyright, if you control the ownership of the the text, it becomes it stays in in publication as long as you know Lulu dot com stands stays up or whoever mm-hmm. you decide to publish with, and so you know there is a potential of. You know, ten years down the line, whether you're a successful writer in those ten years, after those ten years, or or not, your first novel is still out there mm-hmm. um, and still possibly um, there to be discovered by somebody mm-hmm. who might really like it. You know, there, sometimes you can get the rights back to your first novel too. Mm-hmm. I had a chum of mine who recently got the rights back to his first book that was traditionally published, and now he can publish, self-publish it, and put it online. But it has been published. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's all kinds of different combinations. Um, but Louis L'Amour, I believe, pu- self-published his first book. He did all right. Walt yeah. Whitman publishes, <laughs> self-published his first book. He did all right. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy who did The Martian. The guy who did The Martian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And his second book is not so good. But the first book, first book was, was pretty good. And he self-published that. So, you know, John Scalzi. Uh, John Scalzi started uh, publishing his first book uh, on his blog too, and got picked up. So, and Chris Philbrook uh, mm-hmm. from New Hampshire has all those zombie books out. He's that started as a, yep. as a web online story. He's been self-publishing. He's got what fifteen volumes out. Mm-hmm. And there's the you know the famous Paul Harding with Tinkers, who self-published Tinkers and they got a Pulitzer for it. Right. So, and you do, you mainly do um, uh, well. You do you do a lot of short stories. Mm-hmm. What's what's the over and under for doing short stories, traditional route or um, self publishing? Because with a short story, you're you're usually submitting it to some place like mm-hmm. an anthology, like a collection, uh, or a magazine or a journal. Yep. Um, so there's, I would think there's more of a potential there than if you were shipping a, a novel. You know that you mm-hmm. have to wait then the traditional route of a novel. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I've can, could I self-publish my short stories? Yeah, I guess I, I could, and I could like do something with like Patreon or something like that. So they'd give me a pittance or a quarter every time I put put a new story out there. Um, but I haven't, I haven't done anything like that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, um, I'm a 
call me a snob. I want to. I want to. I want to make it through the gate mm-hmm. uh, as much as I can. Um, and you know, going through the gate or getting through the gate has a certain panache, but it also has certain awards and risks. And risks. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, everything. All the short stories I've had that are out there have been published by other. Some have been good publishers. Some have been. Not so good publishers, so it depends on depends on what you look at, I guess. Mm-hmm. And what's important to you as a, yeah. as a writer? As a writer, right? Right. Yeah, and I, I definitely want. I want to get through the gate. I want to be on a bookshelf, you know, and all that that fun stuff. But you know, the things I look at, try to take an honest look at what I have in like that science fiction thing. I don't think that will get me through the gate for. Mm-hmm. for Reason not because it's a bad story or it's weak writing or anything. It's just because of the, the, all the marketing kinds of things that you hear about, and you know, as well, don't send us anything if it's you know it's going to be original. It's going to be, and it is, but it sounds like another zombie novel. So, right. So I don't think that will get me through the gate. But it's the story that I have, and I like it, and I'm proud of it. So I want to do something with it. Mm-hmm. So maybe try the gate first. I might. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll we'll be back with our second half momentarily. Writing, a podcast put together by the Hatbox Theater and New Hampshire Writers Project. Uh, Kevin, as our Hatbox Theater representative, can you tell us what's going on with the Hatbox in Concord? Sure, I'd be happy to. We've got uh, Christmas Carol running until December 17th. That's uh, an original adaptation that, that sticks very close to the, uh, to the source material. Mm-hmm. And as we're a small theater, 100 seats, well, for this show, it's 82 seats because we reconfigured the theater so that we can maximize the space for the, um, for the stage as well as the uh, projection screens. It's mm-hmm. very, very um, extensive use of projection screens and animations so we can switch from, say, Scrooge's office to a London street and mm-hmm. there's, there's animations when the ghosts come and go and things like that and environmental sound effects and, and all kinds of cool stuff like that. So it's, it's a very, it kind of emphasizes the ghost story aspect of it and an undigested bit of beef. Mm-hmm. 
is uh, one of the important parts of the way they treat the, mm-hmm. the show. It's a funny idea because Dickens did intended to be a ghost story. Right. It was only accidentally right. inspired Christmas as we know it. Right, yeah. right, and, and it tends to be treated as kind of a sappy, you know, treacly kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. When really it's just supposed to be scary as hell. Right. And yeah. that's what they're going for. It's oh, cool. not scary as hell, but at least spooky and okay. and somewhat mysterious and, and more of a ghost story. Yeah, that's cool. Cool, Gary, as the uh, writers' project rep. Uh, what do you folks have going on this beautiful um, season? Not much more for the rest of December. We're we're enjoying the holidays and the rest of December. Then starting up in January, we've got uh, workshops and uh, webinars, including uh, a new round of flash fiction. Ed Ting's going to be doing a flash fiction workshop in uh, January to get us excited for the flash fiction season. We have a statewide contest of flash flash fiction. Uh, that will run in the new year, and uh, lots of other workshops and uh, webinars that we'll uh, post on our website. That's the three-minute flash fiction? Yes. Yeah, Ed's putting that together again, right? Yes. Yeah, that's a big He's event. Great. We get at like seven or eight different places around the state. People compete, and then they come together for the, the big show mm-hmm. and make money. Definitely. It's, that's cool. it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's and cool. there's, there are a few other things to talk about at the Hatbox, too. Oh, uh, did I interrupt? I am <laughs> no, so that's, sorry. That's fine. That's fine. Not so sorry. Up. We'll fix that's it in post. Part. We'll fix it in post again. <laughs> um, no, there's um, we've got uh, two nights of comedy coming up on mm. the uh, the 28th and the 29th. We've got a stand-up comedy night. There's going to be about uh, six different comedians, a bunch of local talent, kind of a big showcase hmm. uh, featuring a uh, Boston comedian named Drew Dunn. Um, who's one of those, you know, won lots of regional contests and awards for his, for his comedy and stuff. And, um, and local Greg Bogus, the guy who, who runs this, he's, uh, he's kind of a local regional comedian who's been voted best of New Hampshire and other places like that. And then the following night on the 30th, we've got, um, um, an improv group coming in and they call their show Theater Sports, where, um, the, they have two teams competing as they do their improv. And they get points. Uh, it all comes from the audience. And one of the fun things about it is if the audience doesn't like the scene, they get to throw these balled-up socks at the actors. And then they have to end the scene, and then the, the winning team gets the points, and they're awarded some silly prize at the end and stuff like that. So, um, <clears throat> And in addition to that, we have Music Out of the Box continuing. That's a monthly music series. And this uh, December, it's going to be uh, Mark and Neil Shalansky, uh local uh, jazz artists we're bringing in a group they're going to have a you know a full band with a saxophone and keyboard and bass and drums and all that good stuff and do some jazz and americana music fun and for writers some of the writers um in that are hopefully listening um in january we've got the granite state writers project is bringing in it's going to have two uh, one-act plays stage readings of two original one-act plays hmm. so they're and it's kind of a workshop thing where they're they want feedback from the audience and stuff like that. So, oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, Gary, do you want another minute so you can uh, <laughs> equal time? Uh, equal, no, no, you can you can uh, trump his uh, his. Hey, trump. don't say that word. Uh, no, I, I I could I decline. Okay, all right, I'm reclaiming right. my time. <laughs> Sounds good. So, Kevin, we were we were talking a little bit on the break, and you were talking about some of the uh, some of the other stuff, some of the screenwriting uh, stuff you've done. Um, mm-hmm. I was curious, when did you start writing in earnest? When I knew what words were. Okay. <laughs> um, I, when I was five years old, I was writing stupid little stories. Mm-hmm. I remember one called uh, 
Hobgoblin eats a kid. That's the story. I've oh. seen that Peter Jackson movie. <laughs> it's pretty much what it was. A Hobgoblin ate a kid, and I drew little illustrations, had a little story, and, mm-hmm. and I used to write plays oh. for the for the um, local kids to not put on or refuse mm-hmm. to come to the garage and attempt to put on with me. And, okay. <laughs> and I wrote stories for my brother when he was in the army. Uh, drew a comic for him and stuff like that. So older brother, obviously. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's neat. And you just kind of followed that vein ever yeah, since. Yeah, I've just yeah. always been writing something. Mm-hmm. And you're mostly a sci-fi guy? Yes. Okay. Yes, mostly sci-fi and fantasy. And I like murder mysteries too, but mostly sci-fi. That's cool. Gary, when did you uh, when did you start? What was your... Oh, like Kevin, you know, since, since I was a kid, you know, always scribbling away at different things, but really not in mm-hmm. earnest until I was um, an adult, really. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, had to do a lot of writing I'm in my academic career. I'm an archaeologist, and so I spent a lot of years in grad school doing a lot of non-fictional writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and writing tombs and that kind of thing. Yes, yeah, writing tombs and <laughs> Did all you get that. the hat and the whip and all that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have all that. Um, got the kit. And, <laughs> but uh, that, that was always my escape from academia. Mm-hmm. I was able to escape into fiction and, and to write fiction and to do comic books and you know cartoons and that sort of thing as well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when I moved to New Hampshire and uh, kind of retired uh, willingly from academia, uh, I still teach online classes for Stanford, but I, I pretty much retired from being an on-campus uh, lecturer. Uh, I had writing to fall back on to mm-hmm. keep me busy and to keep me uh, occupied in, in my daily life and uh, was able to finally give it uh, a certain amount of attention that I never had, that I always had been feel, feeling guilty about writing because it was taking away from that journal article on the Romans that I should have been writing mm-hmm. um, to fill into my tenure folder and things like that. But I was uh, very glad to have you know writing to something to, to fall back on mm-hmm. and uh, – and to, to occupy myself in the cold New Hampshire winters. It's a handy thing. It is. Well, going back to um, the book you self-published, when you look at that book, do you when you look? Are you, do you consider yourself an author? Would you, would, <laughs> if I were to meet you at a party, would you say that you're a Gary DeVore author, or because it, does it feel different with the self-publishing? Uh, it's a good question. Yeah, everybody always says, you know, if if you do any sort of writing, you can call yourself a writer. You know, that's that's the be- that's the the, the, the cut makes off sense, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, whether or not you're an author, mm-hmm. um, yes, you can go to Amazon and you can find my book. So mm-hmm. you know, it's it's something that is out there in in the the, the marketplace that you mm-hmm. can actually purchase. Do you have an author page on I Goodreads? Do, I do have an author page, both Goodreads okay. and at Amazon and my own website and things like that. So I've I've done the the homework for all that. Right. And so I would introduce myself as an author. What the question kind of is whether I'm not not being uh, academically employed currently except part-time mm-hmm. uh, on the Internet, uh, can I still call myself an archaeologist? That's, mm. that's a larger question <laughs> of uh, my academic career that uh, I, I still struggle with. So I, I'm much more comfortable calling myself an author or a writer um, these days So because mm. you know, that's, that's, 
that's what occupies my days. That's your dish. Mm-hmm. You don't count you? like looking through your house, digging through stuff as your, <laughs> as your archaeology. Uh, Haven't found anything in that backyard of yours. No, well, I've, I've read an I've read an article written by you know disillusioned archaeological grad students uh, about you know calling yourself an uh, an archaeologist. You know, when what are the requirements for that? And, mm. and the, the upshot of the article was that you know your training. Your worldview has been crafted by mm-hmm. this academic journey that you've been on, and that you've gotten a PhD in in this specific specific discipline. So, you know whether or not you actually go out every summer into the field, mm-hmm. or sit around the lab and and sort the potsherds, or if you're actively doing that or not, you're still you know, the, the 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 hopeful message of this article was that you're still an archaeologist. Mm-hmm. So, I think there's some tantamount uh, to writing that you can kind of see in that as well too that at least if 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 that is how you're occupying your mind and if you are actually putting pen to paper and or keys to typewriter keys or fingers to typewriter keys um that that is a a valid way to define yourself Mm -hmm. it's the the lens through which you look yeah exactly what about you rob when did you get started uh, it's a really good question, and I uh, I don't know if I remember anymore. Uh, I, f- I feel like writing is something that I used to do because I could make people laugh or I could make teachers give me a little bit better grade if I wrote them an extra essay or something like that. I feel like in like middle school and elementary school, I was really big on reading Andy Rooney and really big on reading Bill Cosby, so I wrote mm. kind of essays in that vein. Mm. Uh, didn't write a lot of fiction, um, and I didn't really write much fiction uh, until the last uh, seven years or so. I was a journalist uh, for a long time, for about 11 years, and kind of like your archaeology thing, I think, you know, even though I'm a non-practicing journalist, I think I'm still a journalist mm-hmm. uh, just based on how I see things, and I'm always kind of looking for the story, and I'm always wishing that I was writing the story. Um but I, you know, I, I think writing has been is a, is a, is a talent I have, is a skill I have, and I've used it um, throughout the years to either um, make friends, influence people, or pay the bills. Mm. How about yourself? Did I ask you? I already asked yeah. you about that. <laughs> well, what would you call yourself? Do you call yourself a writer? Do you introduce yourself as a writer? I wouldn't introduce myself as a writer. If we get, you know, we get in a conversation talking about, you know, things that we do. You know, I yeah. I would definitely bring it up, but yeah. I wouldn't say, hello, I'm Kevin Barrett, writer. Right, right. Um, that just seems a little pretentious, pretentious. to me. Well, one, yeah, right. one, of the, one of the ongoing problems, particularly as men in this society and culture that we have, is that we often define ourselves by our job. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so yes. Uh, as someone... Kevin, who is retiring next year, yeah, congratulations, that, congratulations, yeah, to re- retiring to to write full time, okay, which is fantastic. Um, but to w- when you don't have that crutch of being mm-hmm. introducing yourself as as your your profession, mm-hmm. because right. you're not actively going to be earning a paycheck during your profession. Mm-hmm. In fact, you're going to be retired. Mm-hmm. Um, Will that become? Will that change? I don't know. I hadn't thought about it, but it just might. Are you mm-hmm. just Kevin from now? I'm just Kevin. Just Kevin. Yeah. There's nothing else I'm behind. Madonna, you're going with yeah. one name. Right. That's right. There's. We have to talk about Kevin. Was that, <laughs> that a movie that a or movie, something? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah don't I don't know. know. I hadn't really thought about that, but uh, but that that might change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something I struggle with because mm-hmm. of 
my my academic job. Mm-hmm. You know, I ended my academic jobs in order to move across the country, move to New Hampshire, and one of the uh, enticements was that I could then write full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that meant that I was no longer earning a paycheck, mm-hmm. you know, teaching or earning a paycheck mm-hmm. from a university, doing uh, academic things. Um, so it was it was a big thought process. I had to a reevaluation that mm-hmm. I had to go through in my mind to uh, not define myself or to 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 resist defining myself by a job that I no longer had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Have you have you done? Are you now a full time writer? Do you find yourself that you're you've achieved that goal? Yeah, yeah. For the most part, I mean, it's like I said. I, I since moving to New Hampshire, I finished my second book, so mm-hmm. I'm in the process of querying that. We'll see if that if any agent bites on that, or if mm-hmm. I do go down the self publishing route because mm-hmm. it didn't work out the traditional route. How do you know when to stop? Uh, when you kind of run out, run of, out of addresses okay. <laughs> that you want to that you want to uh, um, query. Mm-hmm. I've heard people have done fifty. I've heard two hundred and fifty. I've heard you know any number of craziness. Yeah, for me, it's it's been uh, who have I found that actively? It's, it's a historical murder mystery set in the ancient Roman world. Mm-hmm. So I've been focusing on agents who have both in, the, in their profiles that are looking for both murder mysteries and mm-hmm. historical fiction. Gotcha. And I'm like, well, hey. Have I got a book for you? So the new, <laughs> the new adult lookers with chiclet on their thing, you don't want that? No, no. no. So there's no sense of doing that. Um, so when I run out of those names, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll say, I'll have the conversation with myself. Okay, well, it's a time to maybe just get it out there and then go on to book number three, mm-hmm. which I'm currently writing. So. Hmm. Okay. And you, you've, when you start querying, do you know how many will be too many? Well, uh... I think I'll probably develop a list and go through that list. Mm-hmm. You know, especially like the the Victorian murder mystery thing is probably going to have a small list. Mm-hmm. Um, the fantasy trilogy or whatever it turns <laughs> out to be omnibus, omnibus really. Um, that would probably have a much larger list. So I think that would have to be something where I would set my own limit of how long I could put be in. You know, court. What do we call it? Quer- quergatory. Quergatory, mm-hmm. yes. Um, or how many that I, you know, before it, you know, completely beats your soul down being rejected so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think like the Victorian murder mystery thing will be a short list. And once I get through that, then. Is that steampunk at all or is it. Uh... No, it's very, it's very. Um, the the goal is to be very true to the, um, to the time period. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's more. Um, horror supernatural type stuff yeah interesting goes there's a demon and stuff and okay uh, i guess that's going to be it for us uh tonight at you are writing a podcast brought to you by the hatbox theater and the hampshire writers project uh recorded live at the hatbox theater in concord heights have a good night see you next year good night Thank you for listening to You Are Writing, a monthly podcast on writing from the New Hampshire Writers Project and the Hatbox Theater in Concord, New Hampshire. The music was by Kevin McLeod at Encompatech.com, licensed under Creative Commons. Thank you.
Thank <laughs> you.